0: Welcome to episode 26 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by Change Up. I'm Matt Zatili. I am joined, as always, by my co-host Owen Shadrick. And Owen, as of today, the 2020 Futures League season is complete, and the Nashua Silver Knights are your champions. What an incredible season and what a championship series it was! Great to see you. How you doing? And what is your instant reaction to what we saw?
1: I'm great, Matt. That was an unbelievable game three last night. Kyle Bouchard did it again for the Silver Knights. And Worcester came so close to winning their fifth, but it ended up being Nashua on top. Congratulations again to the Bravehearts on an incredible season. And, of course, to the Silver Knights on picking up their fifth title.
0: And Kyle Jackson, the 2020 Manager of the Year, we always say we have very special guests. This one is, in fact, confirmed very special. He was at the helm for the Nashua Silver Knights in his first year. As field manager led them to a title he joined us Sunday morning for this podcast episode it's a great one it's a long one and I think all three of us were a little sleep deprived after the weekend and after the summer as a whole but uh we couldn't have asked for a better summer and once again congratulations to Nashua and Owen this is going to be our second to last episode for season one so fans Fear not, we have an episode coming out Thursday recapping everything that went on. We're going to have a very special guest. We're even going to have a special segment of Quick Hits with Owen and I, so a chance to get to know your podcast hosts a little bit more and a little treat for what's been an awesome summer. Cannot thank everyone around the league enough for their efforts, fans, players, coaches, owners, game day staff. Everyone was phenomenal. It went swimmingly, and in a year that has been as tumultuous as 2020 has, What an awesome, bright spot for everyone around the league.
1: Yeah, Matt, this summer has been so rewarding for everybody involved in the league, and it's just been so great after such a tough start to this year of 2020.
0: And we hope that we can ride the good momentum from the Futures League and that 2020, hopefully we're a second-half team. Who knows? We got a couple months left, but regardless, uh, we'll talk about this Thursday. But once again, thank you so much to all the fans who've been along with us for this journey. For the podcast, it was something that, you know, started off as an idea and has turned into 26 episodes now and uh, really excited to bring you one more here recapping the championship series. So without further ado, let's get into our interview with Silver Knights manager, Kyle Jackson. At this time, we now welcome on a very special guest. Last night, he led the Nashua Silver Knights to victory in the 2020 Futures Collegiate Baseball League Championship Series. He was also the recipient of this year's Manager of the Year Award. It is Kyle Jackson, Field Manager of the Nashua Silver Knights. Kyle, first off, congratulations on the title. And additionally, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. Well, this is an interview that uh, we've been trying to make happen for a while. That we've heard that you, you know, were interested in coming on the podcast. So, the last guest of season one before we conclude things coming up on Thursday. So, saving the best for last, some might say. I mean, I've been, I think I've watched every single one of them. So, it's just like, oh, do I get
2: a phone call? Do I get, like, how's this happening? And then finally, I think in New Britain, I don't know if it was you or someone was like, hey, we want to get you on. The it was right before um, Jared's. And they're like, Jared's like, hey, they want to talk to you get on. I was like, oh, me? No way. So that's so exciting.
0: I think it was Josh Commons who coordinated at first. But when I finally approached you in New Britain, it was more of a finally, like, thanks for finally getting yeah. me on. <laughs> I'm a tenured coach in the league. So either way, glad yeah. to make it happen. And uh, great to see you, especially under these circumstances. So let's get right into it. We're recording on Sunday morning. You guys clinched on Saturday night. Walk us through what the last 24 hours have been, and what was it like finally being in charge—your first year as manager, leading Nashua to their record-setting fifth championship in league history.
2: Um. Well, we had a we had a long night after um, Friday, just kind of figuring out things that were going on that we needed to situate personally and then on the field, but. Waking up, I kind of tried to keep it the same. I was going to roll. I knew I was going to roll with the same lineup. I had a couple guys ask me, like, let's stick with it. But I was like, it's too early. Like, let me just see who their starter was going to be. But just getting to the field, I just – I kept it neutral for the guys. I didn't talk to them. I just was just like, hey, let's just enjoy it. Like, my motto all year has been win or lose, we play tomorrow. But there was no tomorrow. So it was – Ariel was – Laugh, he goes, well, I guess you can't use that motto. I was like, no. But um, put the lineup. didn't talk to them. Just, they let me throw B, the group four, which I've been vetoed out of pretty much a month into the season. They're like, you're terrible. So, And I'd always ask to get in. They would just drop their bats. So um, it was just I kept it free and easy with the kids because I didn't want to put pressure on them. I think they all understood it. They've been there. I think half our roster was has been in the league. And to have a game three, it's – I mean, there's – I've been in game sevens, but for these guys, that game three of, like, this is their final summer game, they – I mean, just let them play.
1: Kyle, you were born in Nashua. This championship must mean so much to you. What does it mean to you to bring home a championship to Nashua as the manager of the Silver Knights?
2: Amazing. Having my house two minutes from the stadium and then getting the opportunity – um, I think most everyone's aware of how I got the opportunity to be the pitching coach with, you know, the loss of the pitching coach seven years ago, and then BJ giving me the reins of being the pitching coach. I never went to a silver Knights game when I was living next to the stadium. I knew about it. I knew John Good. But to get the reins, when BJ handed him over to me and the credences had faith in me, and saw what I wanted to do with the team and the energy level that I was gonna bring to the team and to make it fun um, and less of a business for the guys. Like, I didn't care if we won or lost. Like I wanted these kids to learn something and play. But for me, I was in shock when we won it. I think we had three opportunities to strike the last kid out. um, And it was like credit to Worcester for giving me a heart attack. Like, I was excited for that matchup with Dufault and Rice. I was like, this is MVP versus a kid that throws really hard, and he wants it because he was pitcher of the year when he was here as a a starter. So for him to finish it, and I know he left on a sour note, um, losing to Brockton in the the one-game playoff. So I don't think it's hit me. Um, yeah I think it will when me and Cam see each other I said I need a couple days from you Um, I need a couple days from the park I just need to regroup because it's a I mean 42 games I mean we brought it to the end and it was well deserved on both sides of the team but for me I think I've won it as a double-a player with Portland and that's a whole nother experience but to win it as a manager saying like, this is your team, you and your GM pick these guys. You stuck with them to the end. You had great pickups with Kyle and Nate, just the whole team. But I mean, it's hard to give an answer of like what it means to me until like I get that ring on my finger. And that's my team of that has
0: won that championship. So you talk about being pushed to the brink. You guys are the first team in Futures League history who have lost the first game in the championship series and have come back to win two straight. You also had to go through two-time defending Worcester, three fantastic back-and-forth games. Talk about their squad and what, pres- what challenges they presented you, having to dig deep, go to your bullpen, and just trust your guys to do what they've done all season long.
2: When we lost that first one, I, I told Ariel, I'll go, we have to win the first game. I go. And we faced uh, the before, and I figured our, the guys have seen him before. They, you know, lay off the breaking ball, make him throw it for strikes, and if he does, then kudos to him. And he did that. But um, – and then sit the fastball. And to have that – like a heartbreak of getting that guy to third with one out and then Stallman coming up and breaking his bat, like that was just – that closer just threw one of the nastiest slider I've seen um, to Shreffler on that O2. But that was a tough because I knew who we had next and I knew who they had in the bullpen. I mean, you have bias coming who probably a potential draft pick. He's got a, I think it was a sub, sub two ERA. um, And we faced him twice and he shut us down twice. And then knowing that they had Babineau in the bull, in the bullpen, like that scared me going in the game too, and the fact that we jumped out to a five nothing on him, I was like, oh, this could be like a a blowout. But he up. Um, the la- I told him yesterday, I think it was in the sixth, and I walked up. I was like, as Matt, as upset as you are, you settled down and you just you annihilated us for those five innings. I think. I mean, and that. That put them kept them in the game, even though it was five to one, that team can put up four or five in a heartbeat with base hits after base hits but that team it, it's scary um, I don't care if you're playing at Doyle and I don't care if you're at Holman or wherever like that team can hit and they grind I mean they didn't strike out that much, and I know that they put Harrington deep in his pitch count early because they were fouling everything off. And I'm like, we're going to run out of baseball. So, like, I thought it was Ricciardi up there because he was known for just battling. And I think that's the characteristic of that team. They make you earn every out, and we had to. But when we won that 5-1, I was like, all right, we have the momentum. There's no pressure on us for game two. It's on them to, you know, to close it out. So when we jumped out to the 3-0 in the, the first inning with two outs, I think some one of the reporters asked me, like, what was so big about the Dylan's home run? I go, it wasn't Dylan's home run. It was the 3-2 walk by Jared that gave the opportunity for Kyle to get up and hit a base hit. I go, that's what started it because that third out is always tough to get, um, especially when you have a quick 1-2, which he had, I think, Schreffler, I think, was on the first pitch or second pitch. And then Chomsky, too. So it could have been like a six-pitch inning. But instead, him struggling at the at bat, he battled and drew that walk. And I think that was the tone to give the opportunity for Jones to come up. Because as, as a pitcher, you get two quick outs. It's like, oh, this is going to be easy. And then, boom, it, it flips pretty quick. So that, that team is just – it's scary. I mean, they had a lot of guys returning. I know Rice had an amazing year. And to limit him to two hits, I think, on this, that series, credit to our pitchers. Because if you can take that big bat out of the lineup, then you'll be okay. But Shaw, Shaw just came out of the blue. Like, I had nothing on him. <laughs> like, leading off, and it's like first – I think it was second pitch of the game. Yesterday, it's like, whoa, I'm like this is, this is going to get interesting. And it's going to be fun. And for how many fans we had there that were under control and social distance and wearing that, like I would look and everything was spaced out, but it felt like a packed house. And I was like, these fans are going to enjoy this game. And I'm not because I'm going to be scared the whole game.
1: Yeah, shout out to Worcester again for an incredible season. And you touched on Matt Shaw, a guy who signed wicked late to Worcester's roster. Another guy who signed Wicked late to your roster, Kyle Bouchard. He was the MVP of the championship series after signing on August 9th, which was the deadline to sign players for your playoff roster. He was a Brockton clubhouse guy last year, and he obviously made an incredible impact as he won the MVP. What kind of impact did you feel like he had to your roster? And what did he do for your team this weekend that impressed you the most?
2: So we, we actually had him before the, the deadline on the 9th or the 10th. We just chose not to put him on the roster because we knew we still had Keegan. Um, and then when the commissioner gave us the email of the final deadline, it was like, all right, let's just put Nate, let's put Kyle um, and put him on there. So it's fine. But he, he was coming, I think the beginning of August, but I knew him when he was at the vineyard and I know that he, the, the kid could hit. Um, I wasn't very familiar, but I remember like he was, uh, he would always have great at bats and I can't take any of the credit for that signing. That's all on Cam cook because he's the one that picked up Kyle and the, and he picked up Nate when we played Brockton in that must win for us. Like that was game one for our playoffs. Um, in my opinion, because if we lose that game now, Brockton's probably in the playoffs because we then have to face North Shore, and then we have to go to Westfield. So when he hit that two-run shot, I was like, all right, we we can work with this. And then he just kept getting hits after hits after hits, and the at that he had, like, I don't think he ever went down. If he struck out, it was going to be a five or six pitch at-bat, which as a manager – you love that because you're making them throw more pitches. You're giving the opportunity for our hitters to see more pitches if they're paying attention than the out. But he brought, he fit in really, really well with the team. They got a total of five or six Nichols kids. So it was almost like a Nichols team, like a reunion for them, but he's very humble to say the least. doesn't, he didn't talk much, but from what everyone told me that how he was in the clubhouse, like, He's just one of the guys. Uh, I was very happy to be here, especially the situation that he had last year being in the clubhouse in Brockton. And Andy even texted me saying, I just had no spots for him. And he goes, I wanted him. He would hit BP with them. And he goes, I just had no spots. So for me, it was a different situation to see how signing guys and picking up guys and losing guys and dealing with when they have to go back to school When Pellucci asked me, like, MVP, I was like, it's boosh. But in my head, I was like, if he didn't get that RBI, that sack RBI, I think it was in the ninth, if he didn't get that, I was going to give it to rounds. Because that kid, I felt like, was on base every single time he was up. Um, And he had that clutch hit in the eighth, I think, that gave us that first one. So I can't speak enough of the team. As much as it's a great thing to see, like, a kid that gets picked up, he's on the team since the tenth or the ninth. But he didn't start starting till the fifteenth. I got him a couple of bats, but I said when he came in, I said, "You're not playing till Keegan leaves." I go because I can't take Keegan out, and how much we were gonna miss him. But he knew who he was and he knew what he was coming into. That you're gonna take Keegan's place, which is our four hitter that no one wants to pitch to, and he he took it on head and he was just. I got this, uh, I think, in his head. He didn't say it to me, but for his actions that he did. And every time he came up, I was like, oh, thank God. It was like thinking Keegan's up.
0: And let's just talk about the offense as a whole. You guys led the league in number of categories here, so let's just go over it. Batting average, slugging percentage, on-base percentage, total bases, walks, RBIs, hits and runs. It was an incredibly deep lineup. Dominic Keegan, Jared Dupree in the middle of the order. You talk about Dupree, maybe not finding contact, but staying patient, drawing walks this series. Guys like Shumsky and Troy Schreffler Jr. leading it off. Mead in the middle, the K-State guys at the back end. I mean, talk about top to bottom, those guys. Dominic Keegan, even though he left for Vandy, having some of the other guys really step up and lead that lineup when it mattered most in his absence.
2: Yeah. When I would... Make the lineup. I would always, you know, I kept the top four pretty much the same when it was Treffler, Shumsky, Keegan, Meade. Like the top five, you never really changed as much as I changed my lineup every single night. The infielders changed, the outfielders changed, everyone was playing. So it kept, I think it kept the team hungry because even if they weren't in the lineup, they were, you never knew because. The way that I managed, it was like, you got an opportunity to take it. So I always felt like no matter what order we were in the batting order, we could start something, whether it was the top or the nine. To me, it felt like any one of them could get on base. And I never even really looked at the stats. I I think I read the stats before the playoffs started, was that we were in the top of that and top in pitching. I was like, let me just – double check this because it just I don't see it I'm not a stat guy I've never have been I'm more of a how are things going if a guy's hitting you keep him in if he's not you know you sit him give him a break if he's struggling but from top to bottom the list will go on of how many times these guys just came up big in the end of games of the walk-offs we had a young team too I mean it was a young and old where you had you had two high school kids going to Kansas State um, and they struggled in the first half. Loot and then they were hot the right before they left. I think the week before they left, they were I think both hit in like four or five hundred in that seven, eight game span. So losing them and then Stallman coming and and he's got freaky power. I mean he's like a a Joya. He's gonna swing for the fences or and he's gonna put base hits on or he's gonna strike out. And then you have Jack Arendt who played all nine positions the last game. Got pit player of the night, probably should have got pitcher of the night too for a save. Um, but, you know, his he might not have the average, but I think he, his on-base was up. I think it was like 200 above his average because the kid just draws walks and makes the pitchers earn each out with him. And then you have Keegan, you have Dupe Schreffler struggled in the first half, but to lead all those – categories was kind of mind-blowing because I would have all the scorecards of all our wins hung up in the locker room for in my office and we would go through and you'd have like the 18-1 to but then you'd have those five fives or the three twos and it's like you have those 19 I think we had like three games of like 19 or 21 hits and I'm like all right well those can only inflate it but we had games where we didn't have we had one hit or two hits so it's like to see that it was like that's a pretty good team from top to bottom, even on the bench. I mean, you have Perkins probably had only 30 at-bats, but I think he was hitting 300. And then Anderson came. He was hurt when he first got here, and then he slowly came in. I think he had a couple of hits. And then Mike Rounds, I mean, he had a, a great season. We put him in the pen at the end because I didn't have any spots to put him for the championship, and I felt like – if he was going to have his best opportunity, was to be in the bullpen. And then Jarvis, he got hurt with his hand. Um, He lost a lot of time. So that was huge on the defense. But having Jack step up, Dylan step up, I think what changed was Crowley, who who we picked up off in North Shore, I think, a week into the season. He didn't hit that very well. But I gave him every opportunity. He enjoyed it. He, He worked hard. Um, never complained and we brought him in for the championship and I told him I said your role for this championship is pinch runner and outfield if I need it he goes that's fine and I think everyone knew their spots um, going into the championship I think that keeps the team at ease because they know what their roles are Uh, so to have that knowing that you're not going to have a kid come in you don't have to worry about where their, their mentality is when they're going to play in the game. So they're going to give it everything they have. There's no, oh, I don't want to be here. It's like, I want to help the team. So for the stats-wise, I think that was probably why we did so well was they were a team and they did everything they gave up a bat for each other. Like I had guys ask, like, I'm going to bunt. I'm like, have I bunted all year? No, you're going to swing. You're here to swing. You're not here to bunt. I think we had two sack bunts. And the had one of them in the championship.
1: <laughs> From the plate to the mound, you guys led the league in ERN wins. Guys like Nick Arino, Griffin Young, Patrick Harrington all had incredible years. What was it like to have a top-tier staff like you did in Nashua?
2: Our staff changed. We lost Mossau, I think, after his second start. And he was – a like I was counting on him, I mean, to have that lefty starter um, with how many lefties – that were in this league. I mean, that was a, a tough loss for us. Young started out of the bullpen, same with Garino, and then Quintel, he, he struggled too. So it was kind of like, I didn't even think we, I thought we were probably bottom, honestly, in the ERA. I didn't even know that we were even that close. I know how hard Ariel worked with every pitcher from Walker, who only threw three innings, but he, he stuck with this whole team and he said, I want to just work. I don't care if I pitch, just let me get better. But our staff was amazing. They, whatever spot they got in, they competed. Um, They threw strikes. They didn't, I told them, I just want them to, you know, make them put in play, give your defense a chance. I, I think that helps a lot out on, and it keeps the defense on their toes instead of just sitting in like our right, ball one ball two here we go and they start getting flat footed so make the defense work make them use them to your advantage because they're there to help you but going into the season I thought we had a great staff and then they struggled out of the gates I think a lot of guys a lot of teams did with having such a long break of being on a mound seeing game they didn't have their college season to get comfortable with the mound so the way that Young and Guarino switched to the starting role blew my mind away, how well they did, especially Guarino. I knew what I had with Young from last year, but with Guarino, for a kid that doesn't throw hard but throws all of his pitches for strikes, and that kid works so fast. He's It's like I think we'll average a two-hour game if he goes seven innings. His start in game two was I had so much confidence in him. And then Harrington came out of the bullpen. So I think for my staff, they uh, surpassed my expectations of how well they did as a team.
0: So talking about Ariel Ramos, this is your first year as manager, as we've already mentioned. How different does this one feel from 2016 and 2017? And what kind of a relationship do you have with Ariel? What does he bring to the table now? And what messages have you sent him? as he is in your former role now with the team?
2: When me and Cam were talking about a pitching coach or just an assistant coach, because I was still on the fence of, do I want to do both? I knew it would be a tough task if I wanted to do both of the pitchers and the hitters. But I knew Ariel from North Shore and I talked to Odie before I interviewed Ariel. And I asked him what type of person he is. And he said, he will do anything for you He's military background, great guy, loves this game and loves to learn. And he goes, you couldn't have asked for, if you choose to sign him or to assist you, you will get everything that, that he has to offer. So how he interacted with the pitchers, he was playing catch with every single pitcher. And he was never in the office. I would just be in the office by myself. I'm like, where's Ariel? Like, who uh, – I got no one to talk to. I go, I got an hour and a half, two hours before game, and I got no one to talk to. And I'd walk out, and he's out there playing catch with every pitcher, like, asking, do you want to play catch? Do you want to work? Do you want video? I never expected it because I, I didn't do that as a pitching coach. I was more or less of, let's talk after your outing, you know, and assess that. What are the positives? What are the negatives? what How did you feel? That was – mine is more – verbal and communication of how I teach, but he is hands-on. And I mean, I, I'm i lucky to have him on my staff to be there and for him to win a championship. I know he had a great year last year with North Shore. I thought they were going to win it. But the fact that he's so humble and so honest with everybody and how hard he works with each and every pitcher, whether they're even pitching in the games or not. Like he is telling these guys, let's get a bullpen. Let's do this. Let's work on flat ground. I will be there for you. And I'm like, wow, just shocked of the guy that he is and the family man that he is. I mean, he just had a little, a little one and he left me And those three days. I was like, I'm so glad that I'm not doing this by myself because it's a lot to handle especially with 38 guys on your team. So I deeply missed him when he was gone. But when he came, came back, it was like a breath of fresh air. And to me, when that feeling of missing him in that locker room and with those pitchers was like I made the right choice to, sign, to have him on this team.
0: Well, you know, you talk about being lonely in the office. I hope I was able to fill some of that void bothering you for close an hour before game time. Always yeah. getting that. Hey, buddy. Rolling in. Kyle, no cliche quotes, Jackson. That's what he told me. Yep. And it worked. Um, A lot of managing involves developing young talent and seeing players and assistants within your coaching tree, whether it be guys who, after their playing days are done, they go on to coach, or assistants under you taking head coaching jobs at colleges or at other summer collegiate leagues. How much pride do you take in guys you've crossed paths with taking jobs of their own elsewhere? And maybe give us a name – for someone to look out for who you think has a really bright future ahead in the coaching game?
2: I'd say Jack Arend. Um, I know he's going to go back to school, but he was one of the kids I was considering being an assistant this year. I talked to Cam about that before the COVID happened and he got an extra year. But I And I think I talked to Katie about it too, was I wouldn't mind having Jack. I, he His knowledge for the game is huge. He throws BP, he he works, he talks, like he's a silent leader. I mean, I don't know who the leaders were on the team because I stayed out of the the locker room. As I would always say, I let the inmates run the asylum. I'm just there to make sure nothing gets out of hand because it was their team. But I think when I put Jack in the lineup for game two, there was a different vibe with our team. They were super happy because he had such a good game on the last game of the season that it was like, how can you not put him in the lineup? Um, so when I made that decision to put him in there, that showed me that like he was a team leader. He has the characteristics of being a coach. Um, I know he wants to coach. I know he's going to probably end up coaching at, I think he's going to Bates to do that. But I would say he's got a bright future um, in coaching, probably as an assistant and then working his way up. I don't think he'll deal with pitchers, maybe hitting coach, see, because like, he's got such a great eye. I think that will be beneficial to him. And then maybe up to a managing role somewhere, maybe in the Futures League or wherever.
0: So a lot of your players are returning to situations at school this fall with incredibly uncertainty in terms of if they're playing in the fall, what their spring season holds, even some players finding out about the cancellation of their program for a year or even two. What kind of a contact do you stay in with the players as they return to school? And, you know, what kind of a message do you send your guys off with as this is truly an unprecedented school year that we're going to be entering into?
2: I told the kids during the celebration, like when everything settled down, um i I just told them i was proud of them um they all have my numbers i give it to them the first day they're there they all get my phone number if anything arises even after like after the summer has gone like whether you like me or not i'm always i'll always have your back i just i wish them good luck i said enjoy this this day because it 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 comes not that often that you win a championship because there's only one, and the grind that you have to do to get to that is tough enough, and to pull it off with pretty much your whole team that you started with. For their school year, I mean, that's, I, I saw that NYIT, they canceled, I think it was two years or something like that. And I'm like, I think Worcester had like two kids or two or three kids from that college. And like, the 2020 year is just a crazy year of just everything happening. So, I wish them the best. I said, I mean, that's all you really can do because now it's in the school's hands. But I said, soak this in because you don't know when you're going to play again. Um, you might not play till next summer. The possibility of that is happening because anything can happen in 2020. So, yeah, I told them just enjoy it. If you need me, call me. I, I stay in talk with a couple coaches. Um, Cam has his coaches. I have mine. Um, I already talked to the Maryland coach, Corey, who I've known since he was like eight years old. He texted me saying congratulations. Um, and he, hes they're still uncertain um, of what they're going to do because it's, I mean, it's on the administrations and the schools, but it's tough. I mean, I'm happy that we were able to play. I was happy that we were able to bring in extra guys to put on the roster to give these kids another chance or just to get on the field and be with a whole another team be with a team um because they missed that this year for their school so for them i think just good luck
1: it's certainly been a year of uncertainty and that's great that you you keep in contact with your players even when this is all said and done
2: yeah i i've done that since um i was a pitching coach i mean i still stay in contact with um kevin mcgee who's with the orioles um he was a saint john's kid I've always said never burn a bridge because in baseball, it's such a small community as big as baseball is. You had my scout that drafted me on the podcast and I didn't even know his son was playing in new Britain. And I remember when he had, he was a little kid. I mean, and that was in 2001. And I've told my guys before I go, whoever you meet, whatever coach that's on the other team Whatever umpire you have, whether you got a bad called strike or whatever, you never show them up. You never put a sour taste in their mouth because you're gonna see them again. It might not be the next game, it might not be next week, it might be next year or two years. You know, take Andy and Brockton, the manager, he played in my parents' AU program. It's weird how everything just funnels in the baseball so i i tell them just never burn a bridge stay in contact if you need anything you have my number you have ariel's number and enjoy it and just be professional um i kind of made this year a professional year of like when you have fun but when you step on that field it's you know you're gonna act professional i don't i don't like chirping i i put it into it um i've had a lot of the umpires said I, I like when we man, when we have to ump your team because we we're not going to get yelled at. We're not going to hear the where's that pitch because I don't do it. I don't even like arguing calls on the basis That they have a tough enough time doing it. You know, no one's perfect. That's why baseball is such a great game because there's human error in it. So why add more pressure and get frustrated when you can just say, all right, I'll get it the next pitch. You know, especially with starters, it's like. They miss a call. Okay, throw it again. Keep throwing it again. Like, if you show up an umpire, do you think you're gonna get another strike? Probably not. If you yell at an umpire for calling a strike three or dragging your bat across, you think you're gonna get another pitch? Probably not. You're gonna that strike zone went from this to this um, because of what you said. I go act professional. Walk to the dugout. Don't take your bats to the field. Pitchers, you got to be. It's, you have to have a quick memory. You you have to forget forget it, go on, make the same pitch again and again, and then let us handle it.
1: Yeah, good stuff. And that's certainly something you never think about with the umpires, is like the ever-expanding strike zone.
2: It, it happens. I've seen it. I mean, I've been in this game long enough to know that I've showed up umpires and I threw a pitch down the middle and it was a ball. So it, it doesn't matter what league you're in. Every umpire is going to handle it different. The best thing that you can do as the player is don't say anything and then move on.
1: Before we get back to our interview with Kyle Jackson, we once again wanted to give a big shout out and thanks to ChangeUp, one of the FCBL's cornerstone sponsors all season long. As you may have learned during our three Nesson broadcasts, how cool is that, by the way? ChangeUp is a cutting edge, player centric pitch and performance management application. By comprehensively and accurately tracking pitch activity and capturing critical in game performance data, ChangeUp helps baseball coaches protect their pitchers from overuse and helps players reach their full potential safely. Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level take notice. ChangeUp is the clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. In addition, ChangeUp's analytics function helps coaches and players understand each pitcher's current performance thresholds and helps inform training protocols to get your players to the next level. The Futures League is bringing you tomorrow's baseball stars today. We now return to our interview with Kyle Jackson. And you guys have been through a number of changes in the organization over the last seven years, but none probably as drastic as this year. You becoming the manager, Cam Cook becoming the GM, and Katie Aaron becoming the assistant GM. What was it like going through all those changes, and what's it like working with Cam and Katie?
2: Well, it's weird having Cam as my boss, as a former player. That's kind of odd. And you're like 12 years older than him, but – I was super excited when we had Cam last year and Katie was the intern. Just to see a familiar face. I know the fans loved it. He has a great energy level and a love for this game. Same with Katie. So coming into this year, when I got the job, I asked who the new GM was. Because I knew our previous wasn't coming back. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's going to be Cam. I was like, great. I go, "The, the the city needed something different. Um, because obviously in the past couple of years it hasn't been working—not for what the team was being put on the field, but it kind of just needed like a, a restart. You know, we have—we just went from a new owner's change from Drew Weber, who I love to death. I've known him since I played him LOL uh, with the Spinners. So I've known that family for a very long time, and then meeting the credens with Worcester and how professional they were when we would go to Holy Cross um, and how they brought a different energy level to the stadium of and it starts from the credens and then with dave peter like that was the atmosphere that i think they want to bring to nashua so i think by going young with cam and katie it it kind of brings them up to what the city needs of let's use creative ideas let's branch out let's the, obviously the old stuff worked before when it's brand new, but you have to adapt to change. And I think Cam and Katie have done an amazing job, especially on their circumstances for their first year. And for me, there is a whole new challenges for the summer league, the sponsorships, they couldn't do any half the ads that they had done, you know, and they adapted to the toothbrush, the pushups. Um, you can't have kids in the field. I mean, the biggest thing I have, Like, I have a 16-month-old, and I just want him to run the bases. And my wife's friends, they're all kids. All like, oh, can we run the bases this year? And I was like, no. But, like, that's a big thing that draws families into the stadium. Same with how Worcester does it running across the field. We do at the end and having all the players round the bases and giving high fives. Like, that's huge for if you want to make this a family event like where you want families back, like, I want to come out and go to a game. And then my kid gets to run the bases and high five the players, you know, that was missing. So for them to make changes to get the families to keep coming to the games under these circumstances with COVID, I think they did. They surpassed, I think the owner's expectations and even the cities.
1: Absolutely. And let's flash back to before the futures league. Back to 2001, you were drafted in the 32nd round of the MLB draft by the Boston Red Sox. You made it to the AA level. You played for the Portland Sea Dogs for a few years. Talk about your time there and being in the organization at a time when there was so much pitching talent with John Lester and Clay Buckles, among others.
0: Yeah.
2: Let's revert back to your podcast when Ray Fagnett said, and we had a conversation saying, it's a bad time to be a pitcher in that organization during those years. I learned a lot. Those eight, nine years in professional baseball flew by. I was young, just like these kids are here. I wish I knew what I knew now when I was back playing. And obviously you don't know that until you go through it and you learn from your experiences. Um, So the years in Portland, I mean, being close, like my mom is from Portland, Maine. Um, So I went to, the Sea Dogs games when they were the Marlins. And I think the catcher, the big name p- player they had was Charles Johnson. So he was the catcher there. My gran- I think my grandparents brought us to a game. So when I got called up to go to Portland, that was like the most amazing experience I've had. Besides being getting the phone call from Hanson saying that we've added you to the 40-man roster. Those two experiences are like no other of getting that phone call. Playing with Buckholtz, Lester, Hanley, Masterson, Bowden, Pedroia—I mean, the list will go on. Jed Lowry, Jacoby Ellsbury—I mean, to play with them is so cool. But you don't think about when you're playing; they're just a teammate. Like you know how good they are, um, and you're in that same level because at the end of the day, you're all fighting for the 25 spots that are on that roster to be in the big leagues. So it is a job. You get thrown into the, the man's world when you're 18 coming out of high school. So you grow up quick. But playing minor league baseball, I tell these kids, I go, you think 39 games is a lot? Go to the minor leagues of a full season and you're on a bus, you're in a hotel, you maybe have one day off during the, a month. I go, and it's an everyday thing. You, there's no pitching rules. I tell the pitchers when I was the pitching coach before you can pitch four straight days. There's no limit. You are paid to pitch. So playing in the Red Sox, and that was a dream come true. Being able to pitch at Fenway in front of my family, that was crazy. Um, making my and debut on spring training, pitching after Dice Kay because it was his first appearance. And then I got cut off for his interview for my inning so everyone's like I'm like oh we I'm gonna be on Nesson like I'm coming in second like right after Dice K and then they cut to him with his translator and they get one out like <laughs> that's how you make your Nesson debut so I'm glad I got another one this year but playing in professional it's a whole nother world to say that you've done it a lot of people can say they've played in professional baseball but to say that you did it for your home team is a dream come true
0: so another thing that made its debut on Nesson this year, we got – look at the strapping young gentleman there.
2: I thought you said that I was going to the Nesson Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, you know, they delayed it. They didn't want <laughs> – they wanted to get it 14 days after the season ended so it didn't have any contamination on it. But, yeah, it'll be there. We'll make a trip together. You want to do that, the three of us? Go to the Nesson That's Hall awesome. of Fame. Like yeah. 12 years ago to the date.
2: God, I was so young. <laughs> it's funny. Hold on a second. Your boss, yes. right?
0: Look at that.
2: Yeah. So, so is that a
0: Lowell jersey? or
2: No, that's That's the Greenville Bombers. Nice. So I get occasionally, I'll get cards sent to me from like those cities to um, sign it. And they're like, if you have any extras, and sometimes I'll, I'll send it back. Like, do you have any extras to send me? <laughs> <laughs> you don't even think about keeping them. Like, cause they're just like the team cards and then you have like your tops that you get as a rookie and stuff like that when you sign the contract. But like, I'm like, wow, I was that young, but it's like, you wish you had some of those to keep like you, that's the biggest thing I regret is not keeping those mementos of the cards. Cause you don't think about them when you're playing, you're like, well, I don't want a team card. I want the tops. I want those big ones that people go on auctions or on eBay and sell them. So I always will send it back and write a little note saying, if you have any extras, please mail to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you half kidding asked me if I could send it to you. And I think we kind of said in jest that Nessun wanted it for the Hall of Fame. That's a pretty good shot right there in front of the green monster. I mean, you could pick worse backgrounds. No, that's not, green that's not the green monster. That's not the green monster?
2: No, that's at Portland.
0: Yeah, so they have that in left field. They have two of them. Okay, I saw the WB Mason signage and thought it had to be Fenway, but I guess I stand corrected.
2: Uh, yeah, they have the they have the two big walls in Portland.
0: Um also have the lighthouse in center field, a lot of cool. They areas do.
2: In I remember I think the coolest thing Portland ever did was they do the Field of Dreams where they put all corn stalks in center field and then you you wear the old time uniforms and you walk out of center field and you have to act and be like, where am I? I'm at Hadlock Field. <laughs> like you just walk around in circles. I was like, the first time I did it was the weirdest thing. And then you everyone gets into it if you've been if you've gone to Portland for a couple times. Um, because I was there for three years, so I had the chance to do it three times. But the first time is always weird, but after that it's like you have fun with it.
1: And we gotta go back to that day in two thousand seven. You talked about it a little bit, but when you made the 40 man roster, what was that day like?
2: that was crazy i didn't believe it i actually when he called me i was like who is this again like it it didn't make to me it didn't make sense because i thought other people deserved it but to have that honor and then they're like you're gonna go a big league camp we need you here i was living in florida at the time when i signed i, I moved to florida because i wanted to be closer to be able to do the workouts stay like all year when the season ended. So I didn't have to worry about traveling back and forth. So when I got the phone call, I was just like, I'm this close to getting in the big leagues. And then obviously I started having arm injuries the second year. Um, but that phone call, I, it was crazy. I think I called my parents after and I was like, I just got put on the 40 man roster. They're like, no, you didn't. I was like, yeah, I know you're telling me. It's hard to believe this small kid from Litchfield, Got on the the forty man roster, um, but I I didn't really think that it was possible. I never saw myself as like a top tier pitcher. I know I worked hard every time I went out. I, my mission was to strike everyone out and make them look like a fool. So my mentality was just get the outs. Like this is what I have. Like and I took pride in that. I took I wanted to represent. My family, because you play for the name on the front, but you also represent the name on your back. And that's not just your parents, that's your grandparents. So I want to pr- make them proud of me when I, whether I did well or not, like I want to hold myself to a standard of this is my family. This is me. This is, you know, the organization I played for and you're going to get everything I have. So when I got put on that roster, it was like, all right, let's keep doing it. It just didn't work out, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, I mean, besides the bus trips, the people that I met, uh, the friendships that I have. Um, and then that even includes indie ball, indie, uh, independent ball from Bridgeport and Long Island.
0: Talk about the grind of being a minor league player. You made multiple stops along the way on your journey. What was that like? Just the long bus rides, relationship with teammates, whether that be a positive or knowing that you're all competing for that same spot and grinding it out day to day. And just the stress of not knowing what your job security was and how anything would turn out
2: on a day-to-day basis. So you get to the field at like noon one, kind of like the summer ball, you get there, you get ready for BP. You have your, if your are starter you don't have to get there until like two hours before the game. But when I was a reliever, we'll just start as a reliever. Um, You show up, you get your workouts in, you go out, you play catch, you have your BP, you come back, you have your pre-mail, you go back out, you stretch, then you play your game at seven and you, you are done by 11 after everything. And then you go back. So you're there for three or four days. And then you get on the road. Usually it's a between a a three game series or a seven game series where you're going from town to town. So like we would have long bus trips from Portland to Trenton and then Trenton to Akron or Akron to Erie. So you had all those long bus trips where it's a seven, eight hour bus trip and you're with these guys every single day. And I was lucky enough. I always had the same roommate. So we we went up the system from A low A to high A to double A so we were always familiar most of the team usually moved up the same level you'd have a couple of re- returning guys but it's weird like everyone you you literally live half the season on a bus in a hotel um, and you're living, you never really unpack you have a host family I had a host family in Maine I had a host family in Wilmington I lived in an apartment in Augusta. I had an apartment in Greenville. So it's it's a grind. It, for 142 games and then you add playoffs, it, it is a long year. And you go right back into it. You maybe have two months off, and then you got spring training. If you're on the 40-man, you're back in spring training in January because they report in February. Minor leagues don't report till end of February or March. So to go every day on a bus back and forth, hotel, hotel, different hotel, different beds, it it's not fun. Um the pay's not that good when I was playing. I know everything's been adjusted lately, but I mean my paycheck barely covered the the rent for the apartment. So whatever you got for a signing bonus, um, you know, you're always eating your meals at the field because you have no money to go out. Like And I'm not a big reader, but I started reading Harry Potter on the bus trips just to kill time because you got a five, six-hour bus trip. You might as well do something because the movies aren't that great back then. Uh, We didn't have Blu-ray and HD stuff, so you're running cassettes.
0: (laughs) And some of those bus rides, that's not Nashua to New Britain. Like you said, that's Portland, Maine to Akron, Ohio or Reading, Pennsylvania. I can only imagine in the Eastern League what that schedule is like. Now, on the back of this card, for the people who may be listening to the audio version, can't see the video, it says, Kyle recorded 83 strikeouts, second on the team, and 70.2 innings pitched in 2007. You were playing well at that level, which not a ton of guys get the opportunity to do. Looking back on it, just talk about towards the end of your minor league career, when did you know your time was up? And looking back on it, I know this is a lot to ask, but if you wouldn't mind sharing do you have any regrets about not making it? Do you play the hypothetical of what would have happened had you stayed healthy and have you made peace with how things turned out and where you are now in baseball?
2: So my second year on the, the 40 man, we were always when I first signed with the Red Sox, the coaches and trainers would always say, if you're not hurt, don't come in here. You don't want to have that look as being a, a training rat of, I'm in there for little things. Like if you're not fully hurt, stay out of the training room. So that was my mentality. Uh, if I'm, if I'm okay, if I'm not in pain, I'm going to stay out, stay out of the training room. I'm just going to get stretched, do my, my band work, the manual stuff and that's it uh, and get iced. Um, so that mentality was from 2002 to 2007. So for five years I stayed out of the training room. I, so I didn't want to complain or anything like just what I was taught and I lived by. So I didn't notice it till the end of the year when I went to the Arizona fall league, I was set to go my second year back to back. And at the end of that Portland year, my arm was just, the elbow and forearm were just, they're swelling up. And I started losing feeling in like my three fingers of where the tension was so tough in the forearm that it was just cutting stuff off, but it didn't hurt. So it was kind of like, you didn't want to complain. So you just went in there and got stretched, got it rough, like rub, like rub it out to get the swelling out. And then you move on. What ended up hurting me was, I never said anything. I would just say it's just it's tight. Can we stretch it out? It ended up being I had bone chips that were ruptu- uh, rupturing the UCL nerve that connect those three fingers. Um, so like when you hit your funny bone, you get that numbness. I was getting that after every time I pitched and during when I was pitching. So the control went. Like, I think my stats went crazy off because. I couldn't throw a strike it, and so my mentality was I want to fix my mechanics maybe it's my mechanics so then my mechanics got were getting changed every single time because my velocity went from 95 to 84 and no one knew why because I wasn't saying I was hurt and I knew I was getting I knew I was pretty I was on the thin line of being released because my stats weren't there I there's two different Kyles. You have the Kyle that's throwing 95 and you have this Kyle that can't throw the ball and has no idea where it's going. So I knew it was coming. So when I got called in the office, I was like, they're like, we're going to release you. I was like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm not blind. I've seen kids get released all the time in the years that I've been there. So you have a good feeling for it. So I ended up rehabbing on my own and then I came back and I had I had a good year in Bridgeport and then it it didn't get any better after the one year. And then I struggled my second year being traded to Long Island. It just wasn't the same. So I decided to just go see a doctor and it turned out, well, your nerve is like frayed and we're gonna have to do an a reposition of it, take out the bone chips. I still don't have good feeling in it because of the damage that the chip the bone chips did. So I took two years off. Once I decided to hang it up. I took two years off. I moved back home and I wanted nothing to do with baseball until the opportunity of being a JV coach at Nashville South. And that ended up being an opportunity that BJ never gave me after my first year saying, here's the situation with our pitching coach. He passed away unexpectedly What do you think? And he's, I was like, well, how long do I have to decide? And he's like, well, this is on a Friday. And he goes, the players show up on Monday. I was like, let me talk to the wife. And she's like, do it. You, I know you want back into it. And the rest is history. I don't have any bad regrets. I wish I said something before, but it goes back to what I said in the beginning. I was taught stay out of training unless you're in super pain, unless something breaks and snaps off, you stay out of it. So, It kind of hurt me at the end, but it's my own doing. I chose not to speak up. So that's the only regret I would have, but I would not change anything in the years that I played.
1: Awesome. And, yeah, kind of tying it back to the – tying it all together and going back to the Futures League, how about a message to Silver Knights fans as we conclude – officially conclude the 2020 season?
2: Enjoy it. Soak it in because this is who you have as your manager. I'm not going to change the team's going to go out, have fun, compete. They'll do some silly stuff. Don't yell at me when I don't bunt because we're, we, I don't bunt. You're, you're here to hit. We will make mistakes, but they will always compete every single time. As long as I'm the manager, they will go out, give it 100%. Um, and you're going to have a different roster. You'll have a different lineup every single night because each kid deserves to show what they have on the field at home and, and to prove themselves to you guys and to their teammates.
0: So, breaking news on Back to the Futures, K Jax is here to stay. So, big J yeah. journalist reporting. Unless
2: my wife's going to sell the house.
0: Yeah. Um, so, we got a couple fun questions for you here. It's our final segment. I know you're probably familiar with it. It's called Quick Hits, presented by Zephyr, the official on field hat of the Futures League. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. So, we got a couple more questions for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Is that cool with you? Fine. Let's do it. First off, before we get into the actual quick hits questions, a background that we've been seeing behind you. you got a lot of football helmets. Talk to us about the story about them, what your collection is at, and if you're just a big sports memorabilia guy, which it seems like you are.
2: So I have about 30 full-size helmets that are all autographed. It's a bad habit, but there's like – you have a Mahomes. There's a Brady – There's my wife. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So you have Montana, Peyton Manning. So I got into it two years ago of collecting them. It's almost like a gambling thing, but it's just a rastastic of you pick up, like I explained to you before, you spend a certain amount for a division and they open up one box and if that division is yours, you win the helmet. So it's a win or lose, but I always call it my Corbin – my son's name's Corbin, so I always call it his uh, college fund. So they'll all be gone when he hits 18, so I have a lot more collecting. But I also have other unique things. Like So there's a game used Gordon Hayward jerseys in a frame, but up top you have – there's a Cody Moore set that from when he played for us. Um, up top over on the, the TV is my rookie of the year in the Gulf Coast um bat from the Red Sox. Um and then there's helmets up all around. It's a it's a cool thing. Like I had Steve Miller live with me this year um from Penn State and he came in there he goes, That's a lot. I was like, Yeah.
0: The Kjax man cave. Is that where business gets taken care of at home?
2: Yeah. My game room too. The wife's gonna kick me out of the living room soon.
0: Some business, some play, never hurt anyone. All right, now let's launch into the actual questions here. Favorite Silver Knights player from your tenure with the team? And as you know from listening to episodes of past, you can list a couple if you can't narrow it down to just one.
2: So I would say Dylan Jones, Kevin McGee, Kyle Skidmore, Ryan Sullivan. I'm going to have to say Troy. For the, this year, um, they are all completely different, and they all had a unique thing about them, whether it was on the field or off the field. But the way that they presented themselves on the field and how they did with the kids in camp, and how they interact with the fans back then, like they're fan favorites. Um, I couldn't ask for a better. I. It's tough to list a whole bunch. I love DuFault. I'm glad he got his revenge in this league, not just on Worcester, but because Worcester and Duke, Brock, uh, Brockton's going to knock them out, but just to come back and get that championship. Same with Dupree. I mean, same thing. I'm just happy for all of them.
0: Yeah, certainly. I'm sure the revenge and just the taste in their mouth is so sweet. After everything I've experienced at school last year with the knockout and coming back and finally getting to hoist that trophy. So once again, yeah. congrats on every front to your players and yourself. It was unbelievable being there this weekend. Now, how about Thank a favorite you. teammate that you've had in your career professionally?
2: Um, so there's two. So there is um, Mike James, who I've roomed with from a rookie ball to Augusta to Greenville, all the way up. And then there's Billy Kovach. Um, He was at my wedding. We played only for three months in Long Island. But love that kid to death. Great kid, lives in Florida. Just those are like my two that I. Am, I'm more close with Billy. I talk to him like every day. We'll play video games together, um, stuff like that. But those are like my two that I'll
0: remember forever. Now let's talk about ballparks. Favorite ballpark you've played at, and favorite ballpark you've attended a game at.
2: Um, so Hadlock Field, probably my favorite. And I'll just say memorable is uh, Fenway.
0: Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to try to argue you on that one. Um, how about a baseball stadium or just a sporting event in general that's on your bucket list that you really want to go to when all said and done?
2: I really want to go to Seattle for a Seahawks game. That was, we went last year to Seattle and we, we, we walked by it. I would love to go there. Uh, watch a game i think the pats actually go there this year um so i might make a plane trip um that's on my bucket list same with um energy stadium for the texans
0: both uh both great stadiums be really interesting if you know you get a chance to go to seattle if it's at full capacity just to see an atmosphere like that yeah how about pitching entrance music either that you had when you were playing or something you would put on now
2: so Mine was uh, Fort Minor. Remember the name? Um, yeah, goes back to everything else.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, hey, it's kind of a meme amongst people our age, but you know that it's got a, it's got a lot of. Yeah, when you. That's something that'll hype you up. <laughs> when
2: you're 37. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love
2: it.
1: Favorite big league team.
2: I like the Giants. I was a big um, Barry Bonds fan when I was younger, and just love the giants
1: so that follow-up is he your favorite player of all time current or historical
2: no let's see if you guys remember this one my favorite player was Jody Reed with the Red Sox second base yeah so I wanted to be a second base when
0: I grew up what years did he play for the team Oh God! I don't know. Probably in the nineties. Yeah, that's that's yeah. before we were born. But, <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> but
2: it, it was, but it was Barry Bonds, and then uh, Jody Reed was the two that I remember.
1: And then, how about a baseball nickname?
2: Um, it's always been K-Jax. Um That's kind of stuck with me.
1: Perfect. And are you superstitious at all?
2: Very. So, when we lost Game One. I didn't go to Janots to have a sub, so I went to Janots on game two. Did that. I didn't. I wore my socks high for BP on game one, and we lost. So I wore regular socks for BP. And then when we won, I did the same exact thing. Of I bought two Red Bulls, an iced tea, a sub. Got changed the right way, the same way. I listened to the same two songs from Kane Brown. I left it at the exact same time on game two as I did on game three. And then I did the same order. I might as well – I figured if it's not broken, don't fix don't fix it. So and I did that the same with the lineup. We won. Stick with it. Um, so lineup's the same. I'm going to do the exact same thing. And I did the same thing when I was playing. I would, I would have the same playlist in my headphones. I would tape my socks up the same way every single time. Um, I'd have a drink the same. It was the weirdest thing. Um, but it just became a routine.
1: A routine that includes country music is a good routine.
2: I love country. I love concerts too.
1: Yeah. That's an unfortunate, uh, factor that will not be had this summer.
2: Yeah. I don't think the kids were, some of the kids were happy because all BP music was country except when we went to North shore and Emma would throw out the Disney song playlist And so we lost, and then she didn't. I said, "Let's play country," and then we won. And then I was like, "You know what? Give me." I'm like, "Give me Disney again." And she goes, "Are you sure you want Disney?" I was like, "Yeah, give me Disney." And then we lost. So I was like, "We're not doing Disney again."
1: (laughs) I don't know if I would do Disney for a pregame, but that's.
2: There are certain songs. I was like, she asked me. She's like, "What do you want?" I was like, "I want some Moana. I want some Frozen, and then I want some Lion King." And then, but the kids just didn't enjoy it as much as I did, probably because I have a 16 month old and that's all I'm listening to. Good
1: point. Good point. And then gum or seeds?
2: Both. So gum, gum would be big red just because of the movie. Um, and then seeds is ranch or pickle.
1: Another Dill Pickle fan. Let's go. Yep. That's hype. And then lastly, how about a favorite all time baseball memory?
2: Besides last night, winning the double-A championship in 06, those are like the top two for baseball because the different point of views you have are crazy. Like, player, you are just – you're pushing everybody. You're jumping on the pile. Like, there's no – fans are cheering. You're just clapping and everything. And then as a manager, it's, what do I do? I don't even know what to do. Like, I literally – after me and Ariel and Bill, our trainer, hugged, and jumped like little schoolgirls. I went and saw Alex and the other Chase and say congratulations on a great season. And then I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Literally, like I'm not going and jumping on a dog pile. That'd just be weird. But I literally was like, do I just go to my office? Like, what do I do?
1: <laughs> well, you did an interview with me right after it. So I appreciate
2: You're welcome. So I just want to say you guys have surpassed the expectations of what you guys have done this whole year. We've never had it before. As you guys know, this is my seventh year. And what you two have done with the podcast from players to GMs to coaches to um, Emma, what you guys have done has, I think, and I think I told you this in New Britain, that you guys are putting this league on a map just for this podcast that you guys do, Uh, putting it on Twitter and apple and putting on facebook like this is the stuff that like i explained to you with cam of bringing this to the new age you guys have done an amazing job i'm glad to be a part of it and be on the last one of this year um but congratulations and uh, kudos to you two for that
0: thank you so much kyle it means a lot and it's not quite our last episode you're our last guest but owen and i got a little season finale in the works on thursday so There you go. Now one more to tune into. Thank you so much for joining us today. Once again, congratulations, 2020 Manager of the Year. But more importantly, a champion lifted the trophy last night. That shot of you and Bouchard after he accepted the MVP award and after you brought it over to your team and just seeing the jubilation on their face was priceless. Congratulations. Thank Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. So this has been episode 26 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have our final episode of season one coming out this Thursday. Make sure to look out for it. And also make sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're streaming on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, a tremendous Futures League season in the books. Kyle Jackson, congratulations. We'll see everyone on Thursday.